Welcome once again to Steelcast. I think this is episode 17 of the current series, uh, where we're focusing on the biggest issues facing our industry today. That is climate change and decarbonisation. Now, if you've only just found this podcast, uh, it's a topic of sustainability and decarbonisation that's floating your boat. I would really recommend go back to episode one of this current series. It was called Don't Mention the C Word. It was a chance to go back to first principles and talk to our sustainability director, Pete Quinn, about what is so bad about carbon. And since then, we've spoken to a, a plethora of experts from within Tata Steel, as well as outside of the business, uh, from universities, political influencers, trade groups and so on. We've talked about carbon. We've talked about customers. We've talked products. We've talked politics. We've talked invention and innovation. And in the last few episodes, we caught up with some people at the first ever UK Metals Expo in Birmingham to talk again about the whole topic of sustainability, environment, climate change and what it is the steel industry can do and the people around it. But we're back home now and we're picking up a few more people who have particularly interesting take on the sustainability challenges for our UK steel industry. So as I say, here we are at episode 17. And today I'm delighted to welcome the CEO of Responsible Steel, Annie Heaton. Uh, now, we already know Annie a little. Uh, not only has our Jamshedpur site in India recently become accredited to Responsible Steel, we recently had the pleasure of welcoming Annie and her team to the Port Albert Steelworks in South Wales in advance, actually, of our commitment to get the site accredited. So, um, Annie, welcome to the pod and uh, very good to see you again. Hello, Tim, and thanks so much for having me join your podcast today. I'm very honoured. <laughs> it's great to have you along. And I guess before we get into the details, Annie, of the sort of specific sustainability commitments and the detail of you know, Tata Steel's role in responsible steel or how we get accredited and so on and so forth, it'd be really helpful to understand and for our listeners to help understand a bit more about you and your background, uh, as well as a bit about how your organisation started and, and where it's got to today. Sure. Well, so Responsible Steel um, is a organisation that's, that's mission is to really drive the responsible sourcing and production or use recycling of steel. And the way in which we do that is through a, a multi-stakeholder forum. And that's very, very key core to, to, to who we are. Mm. Uh, we've developed standards. Uh, we have a certification scheme so that steelmakers can get uh, certified against the standard. Uh, and, uh, and we're broadly ESG focused, so environment, social and governance, not just climate. I know that's the topic of your podcast, but I think it's very important that we establish uh, the links with other elements of sustainable development. And we started officially six years ago, but the conversation went back many years before that. And really, you know, the idea of defining what good looks like is nothing new. You, know, you have it in quality type marks. Yeah. Um, but in the sustainability world, right when I was starting um in in kind of the corporate sustainability world uh back in the the, the turn of the century actually with the the, the gri setting up um you know that was a, a way to try and establish a common way for companies to report against the, mm. standard, the, the global reporting initiative standards uh we've we've got the fsc the forest stewardship council as an example of the kind of thing that you might find if you if you go to the shops and and, and want to buy some wooden furniture um yeah. so that's a that's a certification standard um, which is actually quite similar to what Responsible Steel is is doing. You, you, everyone knows about energy efficiency ratings, even Nutri-scores on food. So that idea is nothing new. Uh, but in steel, there was nothing until uh, six years ago, 
uh, when some very committed people uh, got together and uh, decided to, to set up Responsible Steel. Uh, and that was a really important moment because the Paris Agreement um, had just been signed. The SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, had been established uh, yeah. in 2030. Uh, and in the steel industry, the conversation was a little bit sluggish on these things. Uh, and so the idea was to try and accelerate the conversation and at the same time try and overcome um, what was clearly already starting to happen, which was one part of the world was thinking of it like this and another part of the world was thinking of it like that. So the idea was to create a common standard globally uh, where everyone could get get behind it and 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 use that to drive um, decarbonisation. Yeah, so um, it's a relatively new new thing. Six years doesn't seem very long ago, does it, no, Annie? And, uh, and you're no stranger of the steel industry yourself, are you? No, I've I've been in the steel industry for for, for ten years or so. Um, interestingly, I, I I joined having been in the renewable energy business for eight years, uh, and I, I I joined on maternity cover for nine months. Ended up staying nine years uh, with us <laughs> the metal. Um, steel is such a fascinating uh, area to work in and from a sustainable de development perspective, really quite complex. Uh, and there's so much, so much to, to, to be doing. So it's um, it's an industry that I'm very, very passionate about. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? You say six years ago, the steel industry is kind of a bit sluggish. I've been in the industry 30 odd years and uh, and maybe on some of these bigger ESG issues, maybe the industry has been, but it feels like I've been doing some of this stuff all of my life you're almost you know because whether it's packaging or automotive there's always been a, a an aspect to developing steel products and processes which said we need to use less energy you need to be more recyclable so on and so forth so so, so right. it seems quite quite recent to, to make this big step change yeah and I think you're, you're absolutely right on, on there's been a lot of regulation uh, around product standards uh, and environmental standards um what is what has been lacking is the single voice of the industry, I mm. think, and that's that that was what was recognised back in 2016 that, that we really needed a global voice if we were going to be understood and un, and understand our challenge, uh, and that's that's what's come together in in, in responsible steel at the moment. Um, you know, we're six years in, uh, and we our membership covers the whole value chain: uh, it, it, it customers, suppliers to the to the industry, downstream processors. Um, and of course, steel makers. Uh, mm. We represent 13% of uh, this global steel industry, which is what 26% of the industry outside China. Um, and we have several new members in the pipeline, uh, which we'll be able to announce soon. Very exciting, and that will push that number up. And so it's ticking up all the time. Um, and in addition, we 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 have a very important caucus of our membership, which is civil society. And I think that really sets us apart uh, as a multi-stakeholder initiative and so the standard that we've launched our, our international standard both the first version and the second version that came out recently has been through a very exhaustive consultation process uh, not only with our membership our, our civil society membership but beyond so we've had two public consultations for each of the standards yeah. um, and and in, in our membership the civil society voice gives us a, a, a really good check and balance to ensure that what what the industry members and what the, the steel buyers think good looks like is somehow aligned with broader societal expectations. Yeah, and it is important, I guess, that, you know, you you come from, from a sort of a global perspective and 
and and without putting words in your mouth, I guess you're trying to bring everyone up at the sort of same level at the same time, but through some sort of common metrics. But uh, you know, as previously, people like as you said might be audited on quality or or specific environmental goals and so forth. This is a a broader brush thing, but 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 is his goal trying to like I said, bring it, bring the whole industry across the globe up to some sort of commonality at the same time. And 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 are there other organisations trying to do the same thing? Is it trying to drive everybody to the same point at the same time? I think the first part of that is true. The second part is 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 less so because everybody's moving at a different pace, mm. uh, and there will always be leaders and 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 laggards. Um, certainly, the first. Uh, steel makers to get certification, I think, can rightly consider themselves as leaders for putting themselves out there for, mm. for, for investing the time and the resources. Um, I think you know you've got now a situation where you've got uh, you've got the leaders, the, the the sort of first movers, and then you've got the fast followers, yeah. uh, and 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 that that's where we are at the moment. We're really seeing a, an accelerated um, uptake of of responsible steel. Uh, in terms of you know what's what's expected. Yes, to some extent, we want everyone to be at the same level. And that was what was true of the first responsible steel standard. And, and I would call that our foundation level, because actually since then, we've that was in 2019 that, that that standard was launched. Since then, we've launched another set of requirements, additional. Uh, so our standard version 2.0 includes four additional levels of performance. So there are now five different levels effectively that you can achieve with responsible steel certification. So we want to notch everybody up uh, in the, in, to, the, to the highest level eventually, but it's the, 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 the standard is a tool that can be used uh, to recognise and incentivise progress towards that. And it must be incredibly difficult when you look at the sort of the, the world of steel and say, well, you've got these, you know, the leaders and the fast followers and the, and the, and the countries that are quite highly regulated in, in terms of environmental impact and, and environmental social governance and so forth but then you've got other, other countries and other producers who don't maybe fit into that same criterion they're probably the least likely to companies to sign up to responsible steel so you're in real danger of getting a sort of two-tier society in the steel industry aren't we I don't think so. I think you, 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 you'd be surprised at the variability of regulation across the world. Some com- countries where you'd expect the regulation to be very advanced um, may, may not be in certain particular areas. Yeah. Uh, and others, um, you know, may have pretty good regulation, but it's not very well implemented. Mm. Um, and so what, what our system enables is for a independent check of a company's implementation, not only of regulations in fact that that's not what responsible steel is about but of of the 61 criteria that were within the standard those mm. criteria they usually go beyond compliance they're about ensuring that the the site the steel site has a good management system and that that management system doesn't just sit on a shelf but there are checks to ensure that the that the management system is being implemented that that's documented and that there's an improvement mechanism being put in place, so that there's it, it's really what is being audited is a, a continual improvement of the way in which the site manages ESG, and 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 the other the other element which is 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 very very different to what you might know of in other standards, is the element of stakeholder uh, engagement. Mm. So this is a this is this this is this is a really core part of responsible steel standard, 
Uh, and I think it makes for any good international standard. And if you look at the, the some of the, the um, organizations that set standards for standards, mm. uh, multi-stakeholder processes is, is, is absolutely key and, and really good practice. And, and the, reason, the reason is that if you listen to your stakeholders and if you have a system for ensuring that stakeholder messages flow through the company and flow up to the management and that the management understand what stakeholder concerns are, then those concerns are going to be better managed. You're going to see less disruptions um, and you can really start to think longer term than just, you know, day to day. Uh, and, and so in the, in the responsible seal audit, the auditors will interview stakeholders independent of, of, of the site uh, and they will check that, that there is that kind of system to really integrate their, their, their concerns and their reflections into, into the way in which the site's managed. Often that is seen as by the sites that have been audited as, as the real kind of added value, the real um, plus value of the, of the whole system, the whole scheme. Yeah, and it is interesting we look at it holistically because many people listening might say, well, uh, we're doing this because it's for, for the good of the environment and for the good of climate change and a, and, a, and a good way to run a company. It's a socially responsible thing to do and and so on and so forth. But but there's another side to it. And on a previous episode of our podcast, we had our marketing director, Russell Codling, on, and he will be reflective of marketing directors across the seal industry globally, I'm, I'm sure. And he said, we are being pulled as well as governments legislating, he said the pull from our customers and our markets and consumers sure. for more environmentally friendly products is absolutely massive. So, so almost you can imagine companies or countries that that may not have such strong regulations should be looking from a marketing perspective and say, well, there's going to be a stage where your customers just simply aren't going to buy products from you mm-hmm. if you haven't got any sort of formal or informal uh, qualifications to say we've got a, a a product which has less impact on the environment. Totally, totally. In fact, I was I was speaking to a, a, a steelmaker yesterday, uh, and we were discussing the various benefits of responsible steel. Uh, and it was actually their um, chief finance officer that that said to me, I, "I I think I understand. Responsible steel is is all about getting a really good reputation with your customer." Yeah. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, you know, I. Was was really pleased when I spoke earlier this morning to um, to a customer of of steel that said what the great thing about responsible steel Annie is that you know we know that any supplier of ours that gets responsible steel certification is going to be living up to the same standard mm. and there's no doubt that when you get responsible steel that you you've met a very rigorous standard there's no question of it being um, a self declared sort of claim you yeah. know we know that there's a rigorous process behind it. And yeah, that really, really works for us. It's certainly got a reputation in the marketplace. And I know our commercial managers and sales account managers were were extraordinarily happy when at UK Metals Expo, our commercial director, or chief commercial officer, Anil Janji, announced that we were going to go for the Patalba site to become accredited to mm. responsible steel and that we were going to follow science-based targets. They said this is a, this, a last we can go to our customers and say, look, we are on the journey and we are going for this and we will have some formal accreditation that you can that you can rely on. So it's clearly respected. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I wouldn't underestimate how much work is involved in getting to that stage. I've been there um, when I was working in, in, in for, for a steel company and, and, and I know how much is involved. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, yeah. Both a responsible steel standard and it's it's now got over 500 criteria, um, different requirements. Um, and the, the science-based target initiative is um, very, very demanding. And it really 
requires you to set out a, a, a decarbonisation roadmap with milestones along the way and, and, and really work on changing the landscape so that the, that decarbonisation roadmap becomes viable, becomes achievable. And that's, yeah. that's, that's no mean feat. And so congratulations to you just on the commitment, <laughs> yes. I should say. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a big moment for us. And I think we're very proud of get, getting over that hill. And I know Anil Janji was as well. And uh, but yeah, fingers crossed, it's the first step on a journey of a thousand miles. And, and, and you know, we've got a long way to go, but it is the first step. But we've talked a bit about this, this whole concept of becoming accredited to responsible steel and the Talbot site in the UK. But people are saying, well, what, what does that accreditation process look like? What are you looking for? You said 500 steps within it, but what are you looking at in, in sort of simple terms that uh, sites or companies become accredited, formally accredited? Yeah, so so there are over 500 requirements and those are set around 13 principles. Those are environmental principles around emissions, noise, waste, water, for example, mm. social principles around human rights, uh, labour rights uh, and um, community stakeholder engagement and so on, mm. uh, and then governance um, aspects as well, which uh, which include uh, responsible sourcing. Um, uh, responsible sourcing has now become a, a much bigger requirement in version 2.0, mm. uh, and that that's that's provides really a roadmap for a company. I said there were you know four additional levels. Once you've got your policy in place. Um, you, you, you then need to take steps towards knowing what your supply chain is made up of, um, and really working towards getting some level of reassurance that that supply chain is is itself certified against a scheme not dissimilar to ESG to, to responsible steel. And how long does this accreditation process take, and then how how frequently do you reaudit or reassess? Is it an ongoing process? So the the process itself. Uh, I mean, if we if we start with what the audit experience is like, the site has to undertake a self-assessment. Yeah. When they think they're ready to go, they'll then notify Responsible Steel and, and we'll put it on our website, which means that stakeholders can come and say, we're an interested party in this. We'd like to, to be to be involved. Um, then there's 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 the, the actual audits themselves. And when the when the auditors come to site, depending on the, the scale of the site, that can take one or two, two weeks for a couple of auditors. Um, and then the auditors go away and write the report, and that then goes through a governance process of review. Uh, and the ultimate uh, moment is when that, that audit report is ready to go to the assurance panel. And our assurance panel is made up of independent experts uh, who are all, all have a, a, an assurance background. If they, they, they may come back to the auditors and, and ask for more evidence, for example. But once that is, um, has been approved and the certification is awarded, then the site uh, has 18 months to close any uh, minor non-conformities that have been observed yeah. uh, and there's a surveillance order at that stage um, so the cycle is effectively every 18 months. Okay it sounds pretty robust and, you, and you've talked in there about sort of benchmark levels that we're sort of, uh, sort of setting or looking at to, to reach um, and I wonder you know how you reach those benchmark levels and whether they're sort of set by experts and whether there's any sort of geographical latitude because when you think of the different countries uh, that you're sort of auditing and accrediting there's huge variety in local factors and i'm thinking you know maybe scandinavia's got hydropower and that puts it in an unfair advantage in terms of transition to low energy uh, steel making and so forth how do you how do you balance all of those different factors annie so climate is a global phenomenon right um mm. 
and and then so the challenge is global, and yet the solutions have to be local. Yeah. And at a local level, uh, you're 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 right. Every steelmaker is different, and they have diff- access to different local resources. Um, they may have access to 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 different quantities of scrap, for example. You've got the US where you might have seventy percent of your steel made from scrap, and India where you've got twenty percent. Um, access to clean energy is another key key lever. Um, now, in a in a in in a in a simple world, an easy way to cut carbon in steel would be to use more scrap. Uh, and so, if we if we were to create a, a policy or a standard that said, look, we need the lowest carbon products, then you would simply try to use more scrap. That at the moment would be the easiest thing to do because there's just yeah. not um, green hydrogen available, for example, mm. uh, to, to decarbonize the last furnace. So, scrap is one thing that is effective, but we know it's limited. It's a finite resource, uh, and and so, in mature economies. That's to some extent maybe good news. That, like I said, in in, in US seventy percent, mm. in Europe fifty percent or so. But for emerging economies, that's a complete nightmare because there'd be this scramble for scrap. It would drive scrap prices up, and it would do nothing for decarbonisation of the rest of the industry, the 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 seventy percent of the industry that actually can't access scrap because today's steel demand can only be fed thirty uh, percent of it by by scrap. Yes, yes. So, I think in one of the previous podcasts, someone someone said that by 2050, half of the world's steel steel will still be made using even by uh, 2050, yeah, raw yeah. because there's not enough scrap in the world. So that's right. And so you can imagine a, a world in which, uh, if if we were to say, look, just just go for the lowest lowest carbon footprint possible, mm-hmm. um, that you would you would have this race for scrap, and and you'd have those those countries that that are mature and have a lot of scrap being able to get create low carbon products and and those that don't not being able to mm. and so you know we have to think of we have to think of local factors and and the the scrap one is 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 particularly pertinent because it's such a a lever uh, and with that limit with the finite um nature of scrap we've got to then find other levers to decarbonize the industry uh, and that means decarbonizing the reduction of iron ore right yeah so um let's you know we, we we think about what what's needed to do that and of course vast energy resources clean energy resources are going to be needed yeah. and when we think again about the local situation of each each country uh some have more access to for example wind power or um old oil wells for for ccs than others so what we're what we're seeing what needs to happen and we're beginning to see is that um so thinking is being stretched beyond borders to really an, a, 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 an approach of international cooperation. Um, we need to think beyond borders to trade, to value chain innovation, and, and really consider new ways of looking at the industry. And look, where is the clean energy potential? Because you know that it may not be available tomorrow in the places it is that the energy is so abundantly available today. What investment will be needed to drive it? It's not economically feasible at the moment what are the new technologies that we need to accelerate um you know and without that kind of innovative thinking we wouldn't have the ssab hybrid co- concept or the hd green and and um we wouldn't have the inflation reduction act in the united states with the green hydrogen hubs that that, that, that that's enabling um i heard when i was at cop uh, of a namibian solar project with huge potential to produce green hydrogen mm. uh sufficient enough in in, in fact to 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 be able to fuel a five million ton steel plant. Wow. You know, those kind of projects are 
coming about because state and non-state actors are working together. Uh, and, I, you know, in, in, indeed, if we if we think of where this is needed, the, the, the banks are saying that two third of the finance uh, will will be needed outside the US and Europe. Uh, and that support that will be really needed to turbocharge the innovation that we that we want. So the scale of the challenge is absolutely enormous. And, and you know, some some systems would say, well, let's work out how much how much greenhouse gases we can afford to emit until 2050 if we really want to stay mm. within that 1.5 degree mm. um, limit which you know is 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 is, is such a such an important call for all of us uh, and yet so challenging so some systems say what have we got left until 2050 and how much can we afford to emit each year until then uh, and that that's the kind of SBTI system and mm. that works at a corporate level uh, but responsible steel is more about production at site level um, and what we've what we've done is we've established where steelmakers are today, uh, and our level one certification represents the roughly the global average. Yeah. Uh, and what good looks like, what near zero looks like, uh, and then and that's our level four, and then we have intermediate levels in between. So what you've got is a step ladder from here to near zero, and you can be certified at every step. Yeah, yeah, it is, as you say, it's a massive topic. And that's, I guess, maybe why we've got to episode 17 in this uh, current series. And we're still talking to different people about it and learning as we go along the way. But it's interesting, Annie, you talk there about you know the need for industries and governments to come together for funding and for legislation, things like renewable power and so on and so forth. To what extent does responsible steel get involved or doesn't it at all in in influencing government policy? Uh, around the world? No, I, I, we're, we're essentially a standards and certification body. Yeah. Um, we, we we also, as I say, we have a, a multi-stakeholder nature and a, a community of membership. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of our, our role um, is, is is also to, to work with our members uh, and exchange thinking and ideas. So yeah. uh, our members are, are, are really pleased to, 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 to do that as part of their membership. Um, the extent to which we work on policy is really uh, less so with governments and more with the other initiatives that are out there mm. working on standards. Now, um, standards and definitions at the, up until this point have been uh, on, on, on carbon have been uh, a voluntary thing in the industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, downstream, when you're looking at the automotive industry, there have been tailpipe emissions regulations and so on. And you know, in the future, they may they may have embodied carbon regulation. Um, the prospect of a carbon border init- uh, um, adjustment mechanism yeah. is 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 looming in the EU and in other countries. Mm. Um, and then the the prospect of public procurement having green standards uh, is also very much on the table with the um, industrial De- decarbonisation initiative. So there are a number of initiatives that are now looking at how do we transfer the, the uh, what's been going on in the voluntary sector into international standards um on a, on a regulatory level so we've very much um been part of that conversation and we've been invited um by the steel breakthrough agenda to to lead that that work along with the iddi to really drive alignment um ac- across these initiatives and i'm i'm really i have to say i'm i'm really buoyed by the amount of alignment that has already been achieved in the last year alone. Mm. Uh, everybody is, is driving in the right direction 
um, in, in, a, in a very similar direction, looking at um, how to really drive decarbonisation across the global industry, taking into account all those factors that we talked about earlier um, around, around scrap, for example. Um, and that is very, very encouraging. There are some areas where there are, there are still differences and those need to be ironed out. But I think what's very interesting now is you, 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 we're, we're emerging into a world where there's no clear process about how, how you do these things. It's not about just government regulation and it's not about voluntary initiatives. There's a great crossover now. Uh, yeah. And how do you fuse those, those things to make them work together? Yeah, it's certainly a moving feast, Annie, isn't it? As, as you're trying to bring some sort of standardisation to this approach when, you know, technology moving at a pace, uh, government legislation is moving at a pace, it must, be, it must be really difficult. And I guess when you come into an organisation as a, as a body of responsible steel, do you, do you see yourselves more like police officers who are there to sort of uh, enforce the rules and make sure the companies uh, sort of stick to stick to what they said, or or do you feel more like maybe you know maybe like a school teacher that's guiding <laughs> and inspiring others to be better? What sort of hat would you wear today, Annie? Well, I would certainly say with, with, with I, I'm not the police officer. In fact, I was a teacher in a previous life. Um, uh, but I, I think look, the curriculum is, is is set by the science. But the rules are set by our, our multi-stakeholder membership and, and indeed the broader global community. Uh, so so, so we, we certainly fit into that kind of the education role. But I think we're more than a teacher. We're also the coach um, yeah. because a lot of the time we're holding conversations among stakeholders in different parts of the world where these conversations haven't really been happening to the extent that they have been in Europe. And so it's only when you really engage with stakeholders and they engage with each other that they start to develop their thinking and and really understand how responsible steel can help drive change because if you think about it when when a customer asks you for responsible steel certified steel uh, by you know of a, at a certain level by a certain date okay that gives you one uh, incentive when when you go to the bank to to ask for the the credit to be able to invest in the technology needed, and they also ask you for responsible seal certification. Then you've got a, a you know a double a double bonus. Um, and then when the government says, in, you know we're, we're we're tendering for this bridge um, project, uh, but the steel within it needs to be responsible seal certified, then you know you've really made a, a a good investment, and you can start to see how the need for this to be a common standard really 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 benefits everybody yeah i wonder whether that going back that education metaphor might be, might be quite a useful one in some ways because i guess you go into organizations and there's a danger that those organizations treat it like an exam that has to be passed rather than a learning experience at the end of which they'll actually have some greater knowledge you know that's quite a quite a com, quite a convenient metaphor maybe interesting uh, i i i think uh you you could think about the the, the 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 pupil that takes a subject not knowing what it involves and comes out the other end saying oh, I I had no idea that history or politics was quite so enjoyable um, I had no idea what was involved in fact um, a number of our steel sites are really ready to share their experience of how the the managers of their sites went into responsible steel um, as as you say just as a, as an exam to be passed came out of it. Uh, saying how much they'd learned from the process. 
Mm. And you mentioned briefly before, Annie, about the sort of different levels, and you've just uh, announced level two, I think. But you know, so if I if I look for Portalbot Steelworks, which is where I'm based, and said, right, we're going to go for accreditation, what does that journey look like? Are there? I know we do it within Tata Group. We have a thing called the TBEM assessment, the Tata Business Excellent Model. And the idea of that is you 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 get assigned a grade, and then the next there's about I don't know, 15 different steps of maturity you can you can aspire to. Is it a similar sort of thing? It's like, well, you're going to come in and we're going to assess you on level one and, and the basics. And once you've got that, we'll give you some advice about how you get to level two, three and four. Sort of, but not exactly. So there are five different levels. Yeah. Uh, we have our foundation level, which is our site certification. And that's the one that's been around um, for, for, for two, three years now. Uh, and that that relates to all your management systems on environmental and social and governance. And then beyond that, there are four levels of other other levels of performance. And those specifically relate to your greenhouse gas emissions, both at your steel plant and uh, upstream in your supply chain. And also the extent to which you've established good practice in, in your supply chain. So those two things, responsible sourcing and greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. are the two elements that enable you to progress from your foundation level to um, the, the the four further levels of um, progress. Do we give you a kind of a report at the end and say, this is what you need to achieve the next level? We we don't. That's all set out in the standard. It's very clear what you need to yeah. achieve each level. Um, what the steel plant will do is is they'll do their own self-assessment and say, we think we're at level two. Can you come and audit, audit us for that? Yeah. Super. So it's, as I said at the beginning, it feels like, uh, you know, this journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And uh, that's certainly where Patalbert is. And I know others ahead of us. I know Joe Jamshapur has got uh, accredited already a sister plant uh, in India. So now listen, let's just look at the opinion. first first plant in India to get certified. Is it? Is it? Yep. Well, we should feel very, very proud excited. of that. And um, and it doesn't really surprise me, you know, knowing the company Tata as it is, it has great ambitions. Uh, in, in this field and uh, but we know how difficult it is to get there so so fair kudos to them for, for, for getting there. Now I mentioned at the beginning of our pod Annie about your recent visit to Portal but you brought your most of your team down it was, it was a great visit um, but as a, as, a, as a company I hesitate to call your company of assessors but this is our accreditation standards body how important is it that you, your own team can kind of have that close-up view of the industry to understand the complexity of it before you go in and and sort of assess how 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 good or bad we are. There's there's two things I think. Uh, one is just getting to know the steel industry. So we have people working in responsible steel that have expertise in the certification world, uh, in the human rights or environment world, um, that are communication specialists um, that work yeah. on on governance. You know, members of our board, uh, and they if they if they're not in the steel industry, they may be from uh, an NGO or from a customer. Then, obviously, having exposure to, to a, a steel plant is 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 absolutely essential um, to give them a sense of the the scale, the size, the, 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 the just even the smell of a steel plant. The um, the the other thing is the actual auditors. Now, the auditors are not members of our secretariat. They mm-hmm. belong to certification bodies, which Responsible Steel approves. So uh, the auditors themselves need to understand steel, uh, and we the training that we provide to auditors um, provides some of that knowledge, but it dives into great detail on on the specific um, uh, elements of how 
our standard relates to steel. Uh, so it's important when you get an auditor, you know, you have an auditor that that, that that understands steel, but also has the human rights or environment experience or, or carbon experience as well. Um, but for our our team, when we came to Port Talbot, it was it was it was absolutely wonderful for um, some of our team members that had not ever been exposed to steel making in, yes. in, in the physicality of it. Um, they could actually come to a plant and, and see see the scale of what was involved. It was a, it was a really wonderful um, day for us, and we look great back with great fondness. And I know that uh, since then, uh, I've been with the team to uh, the big River Steel plant in in the US, yeah. uh, and I, 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 it, that's also a wonderful plant. It's a very different plant to Port Talbot, but I can honestly say it's the first time that you go that you get the real experience. <laughs> yes, and the really the really memorable experience. <laughs> Yeah, the the awe of a of a steel plant is uh, something yeah. to behold and something that does live with you forever. And uh, uh, we were delighted to have you guys on site and uh, always welcome back, of course. Uh, conscious of the time moving on and 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 uh, we covered a lot of ground, but if we talk about uh, just briefly before we finish about the progress that you feel the steel industry globally is making, mentioned Jamshedpur there, uh, getting accredited, but on a global level. Are we going as fast as you think we need to as a as an industry? There's a lot of progress, isn't there? Uh, and and I'm sure you're you're seeing that. There's also a lot a, a, a lot of that progress is around the planning, you know, the concepts of what's needed, uh, rather than the actual uh, investment decisions and the actual uh, building of the new equipment that's going to be needed to 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 enable decarbonised steel making, uh, and the indeed the energy infrastructure. That's going to be needed. Um, so there's a huge amount to do. So uh, I, when I think about progress, I think in terms of you know milestones. There are a number of steel plants that are lining up and getting ready to to get certified against our four performance levels. Um, and those are steel plants that are already either well ahead in terms of their own efficiency, which will get them to level one, or they've they've started to decarbonize, which will get them mm. beyond there. Um, but those those are going to be in, in small supply in the early days, uh, because so many of those decarbonisation plans rely on getting the economics right, rely on getting the cost of green hydrogen down, um, rely on um, getting some support from um, often the public sector to 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 really make, get the get the commercials viable uh, to enable those investments to happen. So a lot of the preparations been done. Um, uh, some governments are. Are building up that support, um, but I think not not quickly enough. Mm. Actually, finding the funding and the finance for the, for decarbonisation effort of heavy industries is is going to be expensive, and um, we haven't yet worked out where that funding is going to come from. Yeah, um, yeah. But having said that, there are over a hundred million tons of steel production uh, capacity that are under responsible steel certification at that foundation level, yeah. and that's five percent of the industry. So, in the first fifteen months of certification, that is a, a really great start i think but we need to double that number uh, and move it from being at the foundation level to reaching level four mm. by 2030 if we're really going to stay within a hope of 1.5 degrees and there i'm quoting numbers from the mission possible partnership and it's zero <laughs> report but um you know that's the kind of scale we're talking about it's enormous it's it's not going to happen around the world uniformly at a uniform rate uh, it's going to happen where where governments are supporting uh, and where Governments are supporting the market to get the economics right, and that's yeah. particularly in relation to to, to to the energy side of things. 
Yeah, and it does come down to that that whole show me the money piece, isn't it? And uh, you know, here we are coming towards the end of 2022, and you know, the global uh, cost of living crisis, a global energy crisis, um, you know, fractured supply chains because of the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, governments are going to struggle across the world to to divert money from supporting. Uh, the, the poorest in society and uh, and uh, those who are struggling with the cost of living, they're going to struggle to argue to support private industries in making singular technology changes, even though really that's the thing that's going to make the biggest difference to climate change and move allow people to move forward to net zero. Uh, how do you how do you see that working itself? Absolutely out? right. Um, it's it's incredibly difficult. It seems incredibly difficult if we just take a short term lens on this. But you know, as as Lord Stern said all those years ago, it, it's going to be much cheaper to invest in decolonization than to deal with the climate change um, yes. that will be upon us if we don't. Uh, so I, I think it's around thinking innovatively around what the forms of finance would be. Um, and, you know, the, the, the level of innovative thinking that, I, that I've just seen just since the steel breakthroughs were launched in, in COP26, so just in the last year, I've been, I've been really amazed by the creativity that's been, been, been there. And I, I think that um, it's, it's not for responsible steel to be um, creating the, the, the kind of financial tools or the, or the, or the mm. market mechanisms. What we've pro- provided is a, a standard that can be used by any mechanism out, out there that, that, that evolves to really um, help drive a consistent approach to, to, to the sector's decarbonisation. And indeed, uh, ensure that we, we bring, a, bring along with with decarbonisation, all the other things that we know we have to consider, like like water and biodiversity. Um, so we, we we're certainly moving in the right direction. I think innovation is 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 absolutely key to to, to getting the right um, the right mechanisms out there in the market and uh, between governments to enable further accelerated progress. But we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. So listen, Annie, time marches on and uh, we're going to have to start calling it a day. But um, really great. It's great talking to you as always on this topic. And I know there's a whole lot more to talk about when you talk about the whole ESG agenda rather than just decarbonisation, which we focus on Indeed. today. So I'm very conscious. I'm very conscious of that. And, and maybe we'll get back to that another time. And, you know, maybe when Patalbot starts his accreditation journey, we'll get you back on a pod or, or come to site and, and get you on video again to talk to you. But listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Uh, thanks very much for putting some time aside today and uh, yeah hopefully catch up with you soon i've enjoyed it thanks so much for having me tim great to have you so listen thanks for listening to this episode of steelcast uh, let us know what you think about the topics we're discussing or any other aspects of decarbonization or sustainability that you'd like to hear about or any other people you think we should be getting on the pod to help us all better understand the challenges of the steel industry If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Tata Steel UK and in this series towards our on our journey towards decarbonisation, do subscribe to Steelcast through your usual channels, whether it's Podbean, Spotify, Google, Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. Again, thanks for listening today. Thanks to Annie for joining us on the pod and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 